Please be seated. Good morning. Morning. It is always so wonderful to be with you. It's great to be back again. It's been a wonderful morning already. I've had the great pleasure of meeting your new staff person, Gina Gore. It's clear, um, even though we've not even completed the first morning together, that you are lucky indeed to have her as a part of the St. Wilfred's family. Um, I, I noticed immediately that she and I are constantly flinging our glasses about. Uh, if you see flinging eyeglasses, it's us. She puts her glasses on to read. I take mine off to read. She puts her glass, takes them off in order to see you. I put my glasses on in order to see you. You'd think that the, the, the eye doctors would figure out a better way to do this, um, but uh, we struggle on. Anyway, you are blessed to have her, and she is blessed to be in your midst. Now, um, one of the things that you, I know you know about me is that in my professional life, I work as a capital campaign and stewardship consultant with the Episcopal Church Foundation, and throughout most of my uh, preaching that I do, an awful lot of it is, is on stewardship themes. People invite me to come and be a part of, of uh, their community life as a way of, and offer me to preach around issues of money and stewardship and finance. One of the reasons I really like preaching so regularly at St. Wilford's is that I don't have to do that here. I, I can talk about something else, you know, and there are other issues in the Bible besides money. I mean, <laughs> not many. <laughs> But there are some. And so that's something that I enjoy greatly. And then, on a Sunday like this, I get this lectionary text of the widow's might. So I'm stuck. I mean, what can I do but talk about stewardship? Now, if you've heard enough about stewardship, are they still selling the hot dogs outside? Yeah, they are. Yeah, there are hot yeah. dogs outside. They're very good. So, you know, if you want to go and get a hot dog instead, that's okay. doesn't offend me. But um, we're going to dive into the gospel and the widow's might. Now, I do want to add an additional... Oh, excuse me. I have to see my text here. As an additional text for this morning's sermon, I'd like to share a quote from an internationally known author who did the bulk of his creative work in La Jolla, California. His 60-plus books have topped many bestseller lists, sold over 600 million copies, and been translated into more than 20 languages, while securing for him two Academy Awards, two Emmy Awards, a Peabody Award, and the Pulitzer Prize. This particular quote from a book that I'm just guessing will be familiar to you all, is from Dr. Theodore Geisel's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. 
But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. I think the other thing that you all know about me is that while I am happily a member of the Episcopal Church, having been duly received into the communion by the right Reverend Jim Mathis, I'm actually a Wesleyan Anglican. Being raised and ordained in the United Methodist Church, I'm deeply moved by the Reverend John Wesley's reforming zeal and passionate love for the poor. Now, as an ardent Episcopalian, I am deeply grateful for his persistent affirmation of and love for his Anglican roots. Reverend Wesley staunchly resisted any efforts by his followers to form a new church. It was literally over his dead body that the Methodist Church in England was born. I'm quite certain that John is proudly wearing his Anglican name tag at any and all heavenly banquets. However, John and his brother, the Reverend Charles Wesley, were preachers and evangelists. They were not scholars and therefore did not produce a volume of systematic theology. Methodism has always been built on four books, the Bible, the Book of Discipline, the hymn book, thanks to Charles's voluminous songwriting, and a collection of 144 of John's sermons. And today I want to steal shamelessly from sermon number 50 by the Reverend Wesley entitled, The Use of Money. Now, since I have already preached my one 45-minute sermon this year, <laughs> I, I will simply summarize the good Reverend Wesley's nine-page, single-spaced text into something that we can digest in the time we have this morning. I do think, though, that the voice of this committed Anglican speaking to us from the cauldron of the Industrial Revolution in England, still has wisdom for us today. He writes, The love of money, we know, is the root of all evil. The fault does not lie in the money, but in them that use it. It may be used ill, and what may not? But it may likewise be used well. In the hands of his children, it is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. It gives the traveler and the stranger a place to lay his head. By it, we may supply the place of a husband to the widow and of a father to the fatherless. We may be a defense for the oppressed, a means of health to the sick, of ease to them that are in pain. It may be as eyes to the blind as feet to the lame. Yes, a lifter up from the very gates of death. It is therefore of the highest concern that all who fear God know how to employ this valuable talent. And perhaps all the instructions which are necessary for this may be reduced to three simple rules by which we may prove ourselves faithful stewards of God's blessings. The first of these rules is this. Gain all you can. 
Here we may speak like the children of the world. We meet them on their own ground. And it is our bounden duty to do this. We ought to gain all we can without buying gold too dear, without paying more for it than it is worth. But this it is certain we ought not to do. We ought not to gain money at the expense of life, nor at the expense of our health. Having gained all you can by honest wisdom and unwearied diligence, the second rule of Christian prudence is this. Save all you can. Do not throw this prescient talent into the sea. Do not throw it away on idle expenses, which is just the same as throwing it into the sea into the sea. Expend no part of it merely to gratify the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. But let not anyone imagine that they have done anything valuable by going thus far, that is, by gaining all you can and saving all you can. All this is nothing If you do not go forward, if all this gaining and saving does not point to a greater end, no one can properly be said to save anything if all you do is save it up. You may as well throw your money into the sea as bury it in the earth. You may as well bury it in the earth as put it in the bank. Not to use it is effectively to throw it away. Therefore, add the third rule to the true proceeding, having first gained all you can, and secondly, saved all you can, then give all you can. I entreat you in the name of the Lord Jesus, live up to the dignity of your calling, no more sloth. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. No more waste. Cut off every expense which fashion, caprice, or flesh and blood demand. No more covetousness. But employ whatever God has entrusted you with in doing good. All possible good. In every possible kind and degree. To the household of faith. And to all humanity. Give all you have, as well as all you are, a spiritual sacrifice to Him who withheld not from you His Son, His only begotten Son. And thus concludes Reverend Wesley. So there you have it three simple rules to guide our use of money. And I think they are essentially the rules that the widow in the temple lived by. Clearly, like so many of our elders, she lived a life that was precariously perched on the precipice of poverty. I'm quite sure that she was diligent in her financial affairs, having gained all she could, having saved all she could, she gave all she could. It is a well-known fact that the more money people have, the less money they give away as a percentage of their income. 
When I was a child and my parents gave me an allowance of a dollar, it was not a great trial to put 10 cents into the offering plate on Sunday morning. But when I became an adult and made $50,000 a year, putting $5,000 in the offering plate was a hurdle that was hard to clear. But it is the one who gained all, saved all, and gave all who is honored and blessed. I believe that there are at least two kinds of saints in our world. Some saints are the people who have the capacity to alter the inner landscapes of our lives. They open our hearts and minds to the love of God. They apply a healing balm to the anger and pain we carry and relieve us from the guilt and shame that weigh us down. They illuminate the saving grace of the scriptures, and through prayer, meditation, and forgiveness, we discover that the inner landscape of our lives has been transformed from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life. But other saints, other saints are those people who have the capacity to alter the outer landscape of our lives. Using the work of their hands and the sweat of their brow, they accumulated wealth that they devote to the construction of churches, the building of hospitals, the creation of museums, the feeding of the hungry, the housing of the poor, the celebrating of human creativity through theaters and performance halls, the buildings of libraries, and the sustaining of knowledge through colleges and universities. And through their philanthropy, we discover that the outer landscape of our lives has been transformed from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life. Without the lives and loves of all these saints, the church and the world would be deeply impoverished. I know that John 3.16 isn't a part of the readings for today, but I believe it captures for us the essence of Christian stewardship. God so loved the world that he gave. So the question before us then is, how much do we love the world? How much will we give to alter the inner and outer landscapes of our lives. And as you ponder these questions, bear in mind the wisdom of our friend, Dr. Seuss, that the size of your gift doesn't depend as much on the size of the need or the size of your wallet as it does on the size of your heart.